Hey, this is Max from the Arkells, and you're listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. going on everybody welcome into episode number 227 of underground sports philadelphia i'm your host kyle bennett as always show brought to you by our amazing local sponsors main auto llc Ducharms pro foot security 21 uh paul j gillespie incorporated bob novick automall mark ronchetti cpa llc and the dental wellness center of vineland and of course Powered by our awesome merge provider, Design Tree. Make sure you check out our storefront, dsgntree.com. Search Underground Sports Philadelphia. Use the promo code SPRING20, which I'm pretty sure is still going on at the time of recording right now. And you save yourself 20% off at checkout. And our newest sponsor and member of the Underground Sports family, Tomahawk Shades. They started on Long Island in 2013, and they are providing a quality sunglass and blue light glasses and much much more for such an affordable price and i know you guys are probably asking what's in it for me kyle why are you advertising these guys if i don't benefit from it well you're gonna benefit from it when you go to check out whatever's in your cart use the promo code usp that's usp at checkout You're going to save yourself 25% off. That is massive. You're paying 75% of what the normal price would be. At checkout, with our promo code, it is the best promo code that they offer. Hands down. They are fantastic. We love working with them. And we've got some things in the works coming with Tomahawk Shades. So use that promo code USP at checkout. Save yourself 25% off. And look good doing it. Tomahawk Shades, best in the business. Let's get into the episode. Uh, biggest news that uh, has happened is that the XFL is done. They have laid off their employees, which has a personal uh, sentiment to me, a personal connection, and I'll get into that as well. Um, but the XFL is done. You know, there was rumors that they were going to be expanding to different cities, but obviously the pandemic and everything going on has uh, ceased operations for the XFL. They have laid off their employees, and um, they do not plan to continue operations in 2021. Which is a bummer, because I thought the XFL, for what it was, there were quality athletes in the league. Um, It was a quality product for spring football. I, I thought I thoroughly enjoyed watching the games I was able to watch. The social side of things was elite. Bailey, Tyler, and the rest of the social team were phenomenal. And the way that they were able to engage fans, you know, you had the beer snake in D.C., a whole bunch of stuff. You know, P.J. Walker is now uh, from Temple to the XFL 
to now he's on an actual team with the Carolina Panthers. Um, you know, it's it was I thought it was a legitimate spring football league that was going to work and it's gone now in the blink of an eye. And it's so unfortunate because so many people are affected by this now. Obviously, they were still paying the players and and employees and everything up until the layoffs. But I'm I'm bummed. I I thoroughly enjoyed the XFL. Like, I never got into the AAF. It wasn't for me. That product was just atrocious. They didn't know really what they were doing. But the XFL was doing it right. You know, props to Vince McMahon, props to everybody involved, Oliver Luck. I thought the XFL was doing a damn good job at marketing this thing. I thought it was going to continue to grow. But, you know, things change. And, uh, you know, I, I saw somebody tweet that, you know, spring football probably will never work until it is backed by the NFL. And there might be some validity to that. But for the amount of time the XFL was rocking and rolling... I thought they were doing a damn good job. You know, they had the sports gambling aspect of things locked down. Um, you know, the the product was good. For for what it was, the product was really good. There was innovation in the league. You know, you had the sky cam, the mic'd up players, the instant sideline uh, interviews and everything. I thought the XFL was doing a damn good job. And props to everybody that was involved in the XFL and, and bringing it back for the amount of time it was back um, because I thought it was it was really well done. And it's unfortunate to see that product just in the blink of an eye disappear. Um, now to get to the part that hurts for me the most is seeing friends and people I've met through this industry get affected by all this. And that is my man Tyler Brosh. Just an unbelievable talent. The homie has been such a pivotal part of the growth of what we do here at Underground Sports. He supported us since the day I met him. Uh, was a huge part of us growing as a brand outside the box uh, for our lacrosse podcast, our flagship pod there. Um, you know, when he was working with the the Black Wolves and everything he's been able to do in his career so far has just been magic. Anything he touches, it turns to gold. And Tyler, I, I know you're probably listening, and if you're not, you better. I'll make sure you do. Um, your talents speak for themselves, homie. And you're going to land on your feet at some kick-ass opportunity that's coming next because that's what you always do. You've gone from all of these different companies, left your mark, and um, I'm really excited to see what's next for you because... The sky is the limit with your talents and your abilities for what you can do in the social game. I learn a ton from Tyler to to be able to do what we do. Just following Tyler on Twitter is such a tool. And, um, you know, to see him out of work right now is, is a bummer um, because he deserves to be creating. His mind is such a creative mind, and it's so awesome to watch him work. I've gotten the opportunity to see it firsthand. Um, you know, my goal in life is once we're popping big time and we are legit getting paid, every single person here getting paid a living salary, Tyler's going to be working for Underground Sports. 
That is one of my main objectives. It is a bucket list objective is to work side by side with the one and only Tyler Brosh. But you're the homie, man. And I'm super excited for your next endeavor because I know it's going to be big time. That's all you do. You go big or you go home. And um, what you did with the XFL was remarkable in the short amount of time that it that it happened. Everything you did beforehand, amazing. I'm excited. Keep your head held high. And that goes to every person that was part of the XFL team, uh, whether it was content, creatives, uh, graphic design, um, you know, the players, the coaches, all that good stuff. Like, there's going to be opportunities for so many of these people now to go to companies and, and get uh, an even bigger opportunity than what they had. And uh, it's going to be exciting to see. But I'm pouring one out, and it's unfortunate that I have to pour one out for the XFL. Um, but cheers to the success you guys had because it was a damn good product to watch. And um, hopefully we get something soon. I don't know what will happen with spring football from here on out, especially now that you know Vince McMahon has done this twice. Um, but we'll see what happens with spring football moving forward uh, in the future and if it even has a, a spot in the world. You know, um, It's just a bummer because I thought the XFL was really going to succeed and uh, now it's gone in the blink of an eye. So I'm recording this Sunday night into probably Monday morning by the time I'm finishing. Um, you'll hear this probably Monday afternoon, Monday night, but the horse tournament me and Patty Pitts talked about on Wednesday kicked off on uh, tonight. It kicked off tonight, and um, it was atrocious, <laughs> to say the least. My goodness. Uh, it was literally like watching people on dial-up. The production quality was terrible. I, I could only tune in for five minutes on TV. I watched some of the highlights on Twitter, and my goodness, that was something. It was something. It was not good. Um, the fact that that was on television, the way that it was produced and everything, I mean, come on. ESPN do better like that's just it was just bad man it was so bad um I, I I you know these makeshift sporting events are good on paper because it gives people an opportunity to potentially watch something that is going to pop off and and be entertaining for the time being but my goodness there needs to be better effort in some of these things because that was just abysmal. There's no way in hell I'm going to be tuning in uh, for any more of it. It was just, it was that bad. You know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was just not a good product. Uh, I know a lot of people on the internet were not happy with it and said it was just as bad as I'm saying it was. It was, it was atrocious. And um, the only other thing I'm looking forward to is this MLB the show Players League that's going on that Reese Hoskins is involved in, and the commissioner is a former Philly that probably anybody listening to this podcast has no idea he was a former Philly, and that's Trevor May. Uh, he was actually in the deal for uh, Ben Revere, if you want to remember back then. Um, 
But I'm kind of excited for that because you all know I'm a baseball junkie. I love anything that involves baseball. Um, so I'm excited to see how that all goes down. Hunter Pence is also involved in that uh, league. I think each player is playing 29 games. Um, so it's kind of a, a mini you know, season of MLB The Show. Trevor May is also the commissioner of the league. So they're actually assigning roles like that, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to check that out as well. See what goes down with that and, uh, see if I can get any of the players that are in the league on the show too, to talk about and talk about what's going on with them. Um, would love to talk to Trevor May because I'm a nerd Phillies fan who remembers when Trevor May was a top Phillies prospect. Um, but these, these makeshift sports events are just, they're odd, man. They are, they are weird. I don't know what can be done with it although next week we are getting uh the michael jordan documentary on espn so that's miraculously amazing can't wait for that um we'll definitely be talking about that even though michael was not a philly athlete it's it's gonna be something that is a a global phenomenon uh in terms of just documentaries and stuff like that so very interested to see how that all turns out um, but the last bit of news we have is uh, e- ESPN got got pushed to the side by Drew Brees uh, for the broadcasting job they were offering him for Monday Night Football. NBC is picking up Drew Brees uh, once his career is done. Drew Brees will be joining NBC, um, which I think is a huge power move. Because now they're pretty much lining up the broadcast team to be once Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth are done and gone, it's going to be Mike Tirico and Drew Brees. I think that's a terrific tandem. I think Tirico had great rapport with Brees, uh, you know, when Tirico was still in the booth and doing stuff with ESPN. I think that's a, a great tandem. If that's going to be the Sunday Night Football tandem for years to come, I cannot wait. That's going to be a lot of fun because you guys know I can't stand. Chris Collinsworth. He's the worst. Um, And I mean, Al Michaels isn't getting any younger. And I think if you throw Mike Tirico in there, who I didn't know I would miss until he was gone. You know, Mike Tirico was doing uh, Monday Night Football on ESPN with John Gruden. And at first I was like, you know, he's okay, but wasn't really my, my vibe. And I didn't realize until Mike Tirico was no longer calling games that I freaking miss Mike Tirico in the booth. You know, Tirico doing his thing with the Olympics and everything, and he's in the, the studio before uh, Sunday Night Football and everything. But, man, to get Tirico back in the booth would be an absolute joy. He's damn good at what he does. And to pair him with Drew Brees, you know, a guy who has been in the league for so many years, has so much experience of breaking down defenses, breaking down quarterbacks. I think that's a perfect tandem made in heaven. And um, I can't wait to see what comes of Drew Brees signing with NBC. Obviously, it's not going to come until the very earliest at 2022 because uh, Drew Brees signed that new two-year $50 million contract this offseason. But I can't wait for that to all go down because from a broadcasting standpoint and somebody who's in the media and stuff like that, I want to hear good commentary, and I think Drew Brees and Mike Tirico as a team are going to bring just that. Uh, And if you guys haven't already, 
make sure you're checking out the podcast I'm producing uh, through Underground Studios, uh, and that is called Just Another Football Podcast with my man, the myth, the legend, Connor Miles. Um, We've been doing some awesome stuff over on that pod, and uh, we're going to put an interview with Philly Voice's Jimmy Kemsky into this episode right here, talking about the Eagles, a lot of Alshon Jeffrey, if he's going to be on this team when the season starts eventually. Uh, it's going to be very interesting there, but it's a great conversation that Connor and Jimmy had. So uh, we're going to cut to that, and we'll be right back. With me now is Philly's voice, Jimmy Kemsky, writer for the Eagles. Jimmy, thanks for coming on the show, my man. You got it, Connor. So I think a lot of us expected Alshon Jeffrey to be gone as soon as the offseason started. <laughs> I, I, I know you all, you as well, were saying, like, hey, <laughs> right. you got to get rid of him at this point because you really were the one that alerted us to him being, I know Howard reported it, but I think a lot of us at this point were like, oh, it's Howard. When, once you came out and said it, we all were like, whoa, Alshon's really doing this to Wentz because Jimmy said so. So, I mean, what's the thought process behind him still being on the team? Do you really expect him to enter 2020 as a Philadelphia Eagle? I mean, excuse me, the 2020 season as a Philadelphia Eagle? No. <laughs> no. Um, so, as you mentioned, you know, some, some people thought that he would be gone by now. Uh, self-included on that one. Uh, really, that I, I figured as soon as the new CBA got done, which meant that uh, the, the June 1st designation was in play at that point, that they'd be able to, that, that cutting him would be more realistic than uh, had the June 1st designation not existed. And the difference between the two, just for your listeners, is if they were to cut him without that June 1st designation, they'd have a dead money hit on their cap of $26 million. Mm-hmm. The June 1 uh, designation allows them to uh, offset uh, a significant portion of that, I think it was $10 million actually, uh, into 2021 instead. So you still have a $26 million dead money hit, but it's spread out over two years as opposed to taking on the full brunt of that this offseason. So, you know, that would have been really hard to do. Once they had that June 1st designation at their disposal, I figured, all right, that he could just be gone really quickly. But if they can trade him for literally anything, then... Uh, they, they'll have that $16 million dead money hit uh, this year, and then they won't have anything next year. So it's a difference of $10 million in terms of that dead money hit. If they can trade him for literally anything, and by that I mean like if they traded him along with a pick for a lesser pick, like if they, if they gave up a pick basically just to, get out, just to get him out of town, then that makes sense in a lot of scenarios if you're saving $10 million in, in cap space, which can go toward a you know, potentially a starting free agent. So uh, it makes sense for them to have patience in terms of, uh, you know, kind of giving themselves maybe a puncher's chance of trading him, especially with, you know, the COVID-19 outbreak. You don't know if the season's going to start on time. The biggest thing that really prohibits them from trading him isn't that, you know, that he's been bashing his quarterback over the last two years or that, you know, his, his play has declined. It's really the injury. Because he's got a very serious with Frank injury that required surgery. The timeline for that on his return is sometime around September. So if for some reason, because of this outbreak, the season is delayed a little bit, there's a chance that he can be healthy by the start of the season and, 
maybe in, in, in some worst case scenarios uh, in terms of, you know, the, the start of the season, you know, who knows when training camp will begin. So it makes more sense for a team to maybe take him on if you're going to get him for, you know, training camp or, or the start of the season at least than it does right now. So, you know, the Eagles aren't wrong to, to kind of wait around and, and see if they can, you know, save that $10 million by being able to trade him for literally anything. So I think that's just what's going on here. But like I've said several times, I don't foresee any way that he's ever going to play another game with Carson once again. Right. So, I mean, because you look at High Roseman, he doesn't like to be really swindled in trades. He's always looking to get at least some kind of value out of it. And, you know, the impact that Alshon has brought the Eagles. So you, you would, from the outside looking in, if you believe they fully want to get rid of him, you would assume they're waiting on perhaps training camp and a team's wide receiver injury and then going ahead and exploit the value then and say, hey, well, we have an NFL-ready wide receiver now, Sean Jeffrey, that you guys can come in and plug in right away. The other, yeah, the, the other thing to note here, too, is nobody's going to be convening anytime soon. So, like, the team isn't going to be getting together. So nobody's going to the Novacare complex. Not even anyone in the front office is going there. Not going to have any kind of, like, uh, you know, team gathering in any way for the foreseeable future with this outbreak. So there's, there's real, I mean... I think uh, this kind of happens with, a, with a, like, and, and again, to be clear, I was saying, uh, I was, I was thinking that he would be gone pretty quickly. But I think when when obvious moves are, you know, are kind of on the horizon, we get a little, for really no good reason, I think at times, but a little impatient that they haven't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So in this case, I think that uh, you know it does make sense for them to wait. But just because they haven't done it yet means that doesn't mean he's going to be on the team in twenty twenty. Right, and I mean, like you said, the the COVID outbreak is probably really what's hindering it the most because you can't get your team doctors to look at him and, and other teams don't know about the Liz Frank injury and how he's going to bounce back. So I think that's a fair point. It's not like you saw that coming either when you first originally came out saying there's no way he's going to be back. Uh, you expected him to be gone right away because nobody saw this coming. So I completely understand it from that standpoint. Uh, my thinking would just be Howie Roseman, I, I would assume you're going into because tra- I don't think he's going to get traded in the draft. I don't I don't see foresee that happening personally just because of the Liz Frank injury concerns like you noted earlier. But you would you would have to assume by at least training camp you have to move on from Alshon Jeffrey before training camp begins or at least before he comes to to the building. Yeah, I think they I think you know if and when he gets healthy and they still can't trade him by that point, that's when you cut him. But you can I don't think you can have a situation where he gets healthy and then he's on the field again. Because, uh, uh, again, like I said, I can't see a scenario where he plays another game with Wentz. But, all right, neither can I at this point. I mean, point, it's, it's certainly possible. <laughs> like, it's certainly possible that they do just keep him because they're, you know, for say the draft come and goes, comes and goes, and, you know, they just, they get beat. And they don't, have, like, they don't. They don't draft. Let's say they don't draft a receiver in the in the first round, and they they wind up with guys that they don't trust, or you know, throughout training camp or whatever. They don't sign. You know, they don't sign anyone after the draft. They don't trade for anyone like that. You know, there's a scenario that maybe they talk themselves into, wow, okay, well maybe they can just get along. Maybe he won't run his mouth to, to, to the media anymore, and, and they, there's some there's some weird way that he ends up with, back with the team. But uh, again, I, I like I said, I just don't foresee that happening. Uh, like I said, there, there's no way in my mind he should ever play another snap class. Right, I, that's a tough sell to your locker room too. To be honest, uh, you can go ahead and talk to the media, and we'll give you three chances now. 
to make yeah. up for it. The other unsolved thing about this too, which I find kind of funny, really, is that he bashed Howie Roseman in addition to Carson Wentz. But you were saying they should have traded for Jalen Ramsey. Uh, everyone knew what the cause was going to be, and that they should have done it. So that's kind of like one of the under under discussed thing is, is that uh, uh, you know Howie Roseman was probably bashed harder uh, in you know in the Justine Anderson this year uh, report this year than than uh, than Carson Wentz was. But for whatever reason, uh, I think we've all kind of zeroed in on the uh, on the criticism of Wentz, probably because it happened with Wentz two years in a row. That, yes, that's why I just I can't see you going ahead and saying, okay, we'll give Alshon a third chance not to open his mouth. I mean, because this, this stuff happened in Chicago, too. This isn't something new. He he's, was reported being that type of guy that would say stuff behind your back in Chicago to the media. So, uh, I mean, it's a tough sell for me, man, especially since the confrontation in the locker room already happened with a player, and I, I believe you reported it was Jason Kelsey. You confronted him, correct? Uh, I did not. So what I said was I kind of had it narrowed down to him and Wayne Johnson. And I just assumed, you know, based on their personalities, that it was probably uh, uh, Kelsey as opposed to Wayne. Okay, I'm glad you're clearing that up because a lot of people took the Jason Kelsey thing and ran with it. Uh, Well, I think McLean also put an article out that, and I, 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 you know, I don't have the article in front of me. Obviously, I haven't read it in a, in a while, but I think it kind of hinted towards Kelsey being that guy too. So I think it's just kind of become, oh, it was Kelsey. Well, you can but, see Kelsey uh, with his personality. From my perspective, I kind of had narrowed it down to those two guys, and my, my, you know, based on their personality, I guessed that it was Kelsey. So uh, I, I have somewhat of a relationship with Brandon Brooks uh, since he signed in Philadelphia. I've, I've known him for a while. I was assuming it was him because of what he said immediately when the media came out after this report of, of Wentz throwing the ball too high and not targeting his wide receivers well and over-targeting Zach Ertz. Brandon Brooks came out and said, hey, if you have anything to add, you need to keep it in this locker room. So that's why I think some of us, including myself, went to the Brandon Brooks side. But, I mean, I can mm-hmm. fully see Jason Kelsey doing that. He doesn't tolerate any BS, really. So uh, that's a person that I would assume also. I, it, between him and Jason Kelsey, uh, between him and Brandon Brooks is – who maybe I would assume personally, but again, it's just speculation, like we all said. Um, yeah, it's just crazy, man. Uh, he comes from Phil- he, he comes to Philadelphia, claims that Carson Wentz could be the next MVP, and then this is how it's going to end. It's it's wild to me. Yeah, it's a it's a strange situation. And the other thing uh, to note on that too is uh, the timeline is kind of interesting because uh, Jeff McLean, uh, not to mention him again, but <laughs> McLean came out with a report. Uh, you know, just a couple days ago that said it kind of gave like an interesting timeline on uh, Jeffrey and, you know, the team tried to trade him last year. Uh, and the timeline that he gave was, quote unquote, about a month uh, after they had redone his deal. So they redid his deal on September 7th, I think it was off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And about a month later, put you, you know, in early October. The Josina Anderson report didn't come out until, again, I think it was, again, off the top of my head, I think it was October 17th. So that, quote-unquote, about a month later window falls in between those two things. So they didn't even start to look to, like, they, they, they started to look to trade them before uh, an honest report came out from Josina Anderson for the second year in a row. So I think they... Uh, I think they didn't even need that second report to kind of realize that they wanted to move on from him because he really didn't look the same, in my opinion, uh, this year, this past year, in terms of uh, his play on the field. 
I think uh, he looked slower than, than he already was, and he already wasn't a burner to begin with. Um, I had some drop issues, and and uh, to, to me, he just he just didn't look the same. And uh, I wonder if uh, a scenario kind of arise where, they, I mean, they they redid his deal for immediate um, cap space, and they did that for the purpose of you know maybe being able to use that cap space to trade for. Uh, you know, sort of a big name player. And if you recall, like, as we just said a minute ago, part of Alshon's criticism was that they didn't trade for Jalen Ramsey. So I wonder if, you know, they, the Eagles kind of realized once Ramsey was gone, and this is all totally speculation, there's no, no info to be taken here at all, but I wonder if, like, they realized that there wasn't going to be anyone that they're going to trade for at that point. And they, were, and they thought, okay, well, <laughs> as long as we don't need that cat space anymore, we may as well trade Alshon now before we know what's coming down the road. That's interesting. It's, I mean, it's it's fun to speculate about it. I mean, it all makes sense, especially when you consider the timelines. Uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like Alshon is not going to be an Eagle next year. I mean, I, I would have comp- – It's. I know that there's – like you said, if they go into the draft, they don't get the guys they want, and they need the immediate receiver help, it makes sense to bring him back. But, I mean – Again, that's just a horrible message to send to your locker room. Like, this guy went to the media twice, bashed our team, bashed our, uh, the guy who makes the decision, and bashed our franchise quarterback, but we'll give him a third chance because then you're just opening up Pandora's box, in my opinion, to other guys doing similar type of things and then expecting a second chance right off the bat. Uh, to me, you have to get rid of Alshon. There's no way you can go into the season with Alshon. But, so, okay, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, okay. No, okay, I was going to say, so, uh, you want to talk a little draft? I yeah, think. I wanted to move on uh, to the draft because right. I know I want to hurry this up real quick. But <laughs> so, what are your thoughts on the twenty-first pick? Like, where I know you like Justin Jefferson a lot. I think a lot of people, including myself, question his ability to be on the outside. I'm I'm easing up more on that though. I will say it's just I struggled watching him against Press in 2018, where the point where I'm thinking that's another because JJ, let's be honest, didn't face Press in college, comes to the NFL, and completely gets annihilated by it uh I, I guess i worry about that a little bit in the jefferson justin jefferson standpoint but again this is a high volume type of playmaker that the eagles actually need at the receiver position so i completely understand drafting him i completely understand the appeal of him give your thoughts real quick yeah so just at that 21 first overall pick you know obviously the top three guys lamb rugs judy i think they're all going to be long gone by then Absolutely. um the question then becomes is Jefferson even there? Like, is, is he even going to make it to 21? So then the question becomes, do you got to trade up for him too? So that's, you know, something that the Eagles are going to have to explore, whether they can even depend on him, you know, getting to them. Because you have a bunch of teams sitting behind them that desperately need receiver help. You have the Vikings who just traded Stephon Diggs. Uh, you have the Patriots who are a candidate maybe to, to move up ahead of you. Um and I forget who else is back there, but I remember taking a look that there were certain Baltimore is another team that could certainly use uh, another receiver. So it's tricky mm-hmm. because you didn't address it in free agency. And, you know, what's, what's, what's left thereafter? So in my opinion, you really have to come away with in this, in this first round, and not just the draft, but in this first round of the draft, I think you have to get a receiver. They've kind of, really painted themselves into a corner there. They have to get a receiver in the first round. So you know, do you trade way up for one of those top three guys? I don't think you want to get rid I don't think you want to package your second round pick to be able to do that. Um, do you just sit there twenty one? If so, then Jefferson may be gone and 
Uh, do you like guys like Brandon Ayuk or Denzel Mims or Jalen Rager enough to take it, to take them at twenty one? Do you screw around and you know if if, if you're at twenty one and Jefferson's gone, do you trade back at that point and risk some of those other guys like that I just mentioned going before your pick, wherever you trade back to, whether it be late twenties, early thirties, or into the second round or whatever? Do you, do you screw around with that and see like more of your more, more receivers go up the board before you, before the next time you pick. So they're really in a difficult spot at that 21st position. Like there's, there's a lot that can go wrong there. In my opinion, as far as Jefferson being the pick at 21, I really do like him. Um, I know that production has kind of become sort of like a taboo thing because mm. they drafted a lot of productive guys in uh, recent drafts, namely like Denal Pumphrey, Rizal Douglas, uh, Derek Barnett and so on. And some of those guys have been, you know, disappointments to some degree, or not to some degree, in, in some in some of those cases, in big degree. <laughs> but uh, so I guess that's kind of become sort of a taboo thing. But it's still positive, in my opinion, that Justin Jefferson has the crazy production that he did have this past year. As you mentioned, he's probably best suited to the slot. He did play both on the in the slot and the outside of LSU. Certainly much better in the slot. And when you're running a two tight end set, you know you kind of wonder, eh, is that really the best fit? Is that like really what we need more than anything else? I do agree that they probably need outside receiver help more than they need sort of a slot guy. But when you have nothing at receiver, you're going to add a guy like that who's just a really good player. I think you do it. And I really like his skill set. He's an outstanding route runner, barely drops any passes. And uh, I think he makes your team better. And not only better, but better immediately. He gives you a guy that, that can move the chains and, and you know, really win. All, he's not a burner. He's not going like, to beat you over the top. Like like Deshaun Jackson will, but he can you know he can win at all three levels of the field, short, intermediate, and deep. So you know I do like him a lot as a player, and I think he would be a good pick there. Right, and I had Mike K on the on the show recently, and he discussed pretty much the same sentiments. I mean, you're looking at Alshon most likely being gone. Deshaun, this is probably his last season with the Eagles. You kind of did pigeonhole yourself that you need to get that immediate wide receiver impact, and I mean outside of round one. Especially since you're not picking until 53, you're, you're going to have to pick a wide receiver in round one. I think a lot of people are trying to say, well, they don't have to. This is a sort of class. Uh, they can get guys in the mid-rounds. But, I mean, that philosophy is not really paying off. Uh, they need an immediate guy, uh, impact wide receiver right away. And I, I, You could get that with Jefferson in year one when you have Deshaun at Z. So I completely understand why the allure of Jefferson. Uh, me personally, though, I would look into trading back and maybe landing that Jalen Rieger or the Brandon Ayuk, especially with that core muscles uh, injury, maybe later in the first round and then recouping maybe another third-round pick. Uh, that's what I would personally look, like to do. But, again, I, I completely understand the Justin Jefferson appeal. And, I mean, I they need wide receivers and they need one that are productive. So uh, you get a guy who's probably, in my opinion, going to be a polished route runner in the NFL, a high-volume usage type of guy. And they do need that at the receiver position. So I, you really can't go wrong with that. So I completely understand the appeal that comes with Justin Jefferson. But, uh, I mean, just looking at their next year, what they're looking at in cap next year, and all the contracts that they're going to have to get rid of, I would like to see them accumulate more picks in this draft, maybe moving back and then getting that receiver that offers a vertical threat while also double-dipping in the mid-rounds and getting a guy that can be an ex-caliber wide receiver to push J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who I believe is just about as best what you can get out of him is a Riley Cooper type production guy in the red zone. Cause I, I honestly don't see it with him. I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't, I don't think he's going to pan out the way that they were hoping to when he was a second round pick. 
One thing I will uh, sort of uh, touch on that, that you mentioned is, you know, their, their 2021 cap, which, um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people mention that. And I don't, I don't remember exactly what the figure is, but they're, you know, a couple million, they're projected to be a couple million over the cap. Is, is that right? Do, do you know the exact, do you, there, yeah, the, I think the, it's, the rough numbers on, on that? I believe it's nine. I believe it's nine. Don't hold me to it, but I believe it's nine. And that's that's based on... Uh, you know, modest cap increase from from this year to the next year. So, um, I think that's a little bit overstated. At times. <laughs> like, and and you when you look uh, and uh, like on over the cap, whatever it is, whether it's two or three or five or nine or whatever it is, uh, projected to be over the cap, they do have the most cap space uh, allocated toward that season than any other team in the in the NFL. So, you know, when you see that, you know, that I can understand where there'd be some worry. You look back a couple of years, though, uh, same situation. They were like, the, like the next year out, I forget what year it was. I guess it would have been the year that, last year. I, I think it was the last off season. But So going back two years when you were looking ahead to, um, uh, oh, sorry. If, if you were in 2017, you were looking ahead to 20, now what do I got here? <laughs> I was never. If you're, if you're in 2018 and you're looking at, and you're looking forward to 2019, you're looking at, a cap space, like their cap number was going to be uh, like thirty to thirty-five over the cap. It was the year that uh, you know they were gonna they were gonna the franchise or uh, they decide whether they're gonna franchise Nick Foles or not, right? So right, yeah, right, um, it, yep. And that was before they even did that. They were gonna be like they're projected to be like thirty or forty thousand or thirty or forty million over the cap. So uh, you know they, they they have a plan. Like they, they know what they're doing in terms of. Um, the, there, there's never been really that financial concern with Howie Roseman as, as there is with other GMs around the league. And the one thing to note too is they don't have any free agents of note next offseason. Like there's nothing. It was going to be Malcolm Jenkins, but the, he's now gone. They have some guys that signed one-year deals this offseason. So again, they'll be free agents next offseason. But in terms of like their real core, you know, impact player, uh, you know, roster guys, they're they're not they're like. They're all locked up for for the foreseeable future. The only guy that's like kind of coming up would be Zach Ertz, who's scheduled to become a free agent uh, in twenty twenty two. So, but 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 otherwise, I mean, they have their guys locked up for a long time. So it's not like they're going to be spending you know a lot of money to to sort of uh, keep players. And they next year they'll have flexibility to to redo deals in ways where they can lower the cap in twenty twenty one, where they didn't really have that flexibility this off season. So while I don't think they'll be big spenders next offseason, they are they're going to be fine cap wise in terms of who they'll be able to retain. Right. I mean, I I, I trust Howie with the cap. Anyways, I, he knows what he's doing. But so they they had twenty seven million right now freed up. I don't see them using any of that now. So you're going to right. Assume, they can also roll a lot of that over to right. this year as so well. So I'm looking it up right now. Over the cap has them projected at negative twenty five million next year with the yeah. slight increase, which I don't. Um, it's that 215 uh, is the is the number for the base salary cap uh-huh, next year. Yeah. Uh, 27 now, negative 25 next year. You're, you're, you're assuming probably 50% of that rolls over. Uh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Because if you look at Malik Jackson, he's probably gone after this year. Deshaun Jackson's probably gone after this year. Those are two big names that are probably going to help alleviate the cap even more. But the, my concern with that was they go ahead and get more picks in this draft to help alleviate some of those losses Right off the gate, because you, you know how important defensive tackle uh, death is for that team. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I agree. Uh, Howie Rosen will handle it. They know what they're doing. Um, 
But again, Jimmy, thanks for coming on, talking to the about yeah, the Alshon sure. stuff real quick, and hitting on who you got one at the at the in the draft. Uh, your mock draft had had them getting Brandon Ayuk. Is that something that you feel might end up happening? Because I think a lot of people focus on Jeff and Jesserson and Denzel Mims of the world. I know that the core muscle injury just came out, but in your opinion, how you feel, who do the Eagles draft in the first round? Yeah, so that's mock draft 4.0, and uh, I don't repeat any guys. <laughs> so, like, uh, once I get to, like, mock draft 4.0, uh, and I'm not using any guys twice ever, those are like the probably not really what I'm thinking they're going to do <laughs> by that point. So like if, if I had to, Brandon, I, Brandon Gowden and I just uh, recorded a podcast a couple of days ago and we actually did like a, our own mock draft of like we, we took turns t- taking who we thought was their, would be the most likely players that they take with their first pick. So I had the first pick in that and I picked Justin Jefferson. So he would be the top guy. Uh, for me, in, in terms of likelihood of who they take in this draft, whether that be just sitting at 21, or even if they have to make a little modest move up to get him. Jimmy Kemsky of Philly Voice joining us now on another football podcast. Thank you so much, Jimmy. I hope to talk to you again soon. You got it, Connor. Appreciate it. So, yeah, like I said, make sure you check out just another football podcast on Twitter at another FB pod. Uh, crazy things going on every single day with that show. And make sure you check out the catalog of shows we have on the network that's outside the box at OTB Laxpod on all social media. Uh, you can check out, obviously, the main pod at Underground PHI. Check out Fourth and Goal, our flagship fantasy football podcast at Fourth and Goal USP on all social media. You can check out Process Potables at Process Potables. And, uh, our brand new streaming service book club podcast that will be coming into your ear holes this week. Streamer season at streamer SZN. Check it out. It's going to be a ton of fun. I can't wait for you guys to hear this first episode myself, Dom. So you're going to get some OTB and OG USP vibes and Kevin Guest making his USP debut on streamer season. Uh, so very excited for everything to come together with that. And uh, got a lot more content coming. So that's why you should be following us on socials at Underground PHI. You can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews. I would love for by the end of April us to get to 275 five-star ratings and reviews. We are currently at 240 five-star ratings and reviews if by the end of april we can get to 275 or even 300 maybe we'll do something special to uh take your guys minds off all this quarantine and everything like that to uh give you some opportunities to uh you know get involved and all that good stuff but uh apple Podcasts, five stars only we have standards we know you do too check us out on spotify google play Stitcher, SoundCloud, the TuneIn app, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. We'll be back on Wednesday. have a very special guest coming on on Wednesday that I just confirmed as I'm recording this with a, a pretty awesome segment that I think we're going to continue to implement for the foreseeable future, and uh, stay tuned for it. But as always, show brought to you by our awesome friends. Main Auto LLC, Douche Arms Pro Foot, Security 21, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, 
Bob Novick Automall, Mark Ronchetti, CPA, LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland, and of course, our merch provider, Design Tree, and our awesome new sponsors, Tomahawk Shades. Use the promo code TomahawkShades.com, USP, at checkout, the promo code USP, save yourself 25% off at checkout. Do it. Look styling and profiling with some blue light plus glasses. I got mine on the way. You should get yours on the way with that promo code USP. This has been episode number 227 of Underground Sports Philadelphia. I'm your host, Kyle Bennett. We'll catch you guys on Wednesday live on Facebook and Twitch. Peace. My